podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. If you haven't played Paddy Power Fantasy yet, you're missing out. But on the upside, if you haven't played it yet, you qualify for a risk-free first go. Get up to £20 back as cash when you play Paddy Power Fantasy. And because every NFL game day is a season in itself, you don't have to wait to find out if you've won. Paddy Power Fantasy. Hate waiting, love winning. New customer offer. Min £5, max £20 refund. T's and C's apply. Paddy Power Fantasy rules apply. 18 plus, begumbleware.org. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombe Show, presented by Paddy Power Fantasy. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Good to have you with us. Iron Mike coming up shortly, and it is a goodie with him. We've got Iron Mike's top five, top five greatest backup quarterback seasons of all time. We're returning. Ask Mike, how about that? Making its season debut. So a deep dive into the mailbag. And of course, we are leading off with the Jalen Ramsey news. Ramsey out of Jacksonville into Los Angeles. What does this mean for the Rams? What does it mean for the Jags? An interesting 24 hours in the NFL. Also catching up with Ben Isaacs. Ben is going to talk us through his power rankings in terms of current college quarterbacks eligible for the 2020 draft. Who are the top five quarterbacks that are going to be playing in the NFL next season, according to Ben. Uh, he'll be joining us a little bit later on and looking at some of the big college games this weekend available on ESPN Player. So lots to be getting into. A uh, bit of housekeeping before we do at the NC Show, our social media channel. So if you want to follow us there, lots of extra chat and indeed get questions in for the show, for the Ask Mike Mailbag, for example, that is how you do it. Uh, and if you haven't already, subscribe to us. Hello to all our new listeners. Great to have you with us. Uh, subscribe to us and you won't miss a thing. Four shows dropping each and every week. Right then, this Ramsey News is big. So let's get right into it with Mike. So I, Mike, this is how it works as an NFL uh, journalist broadcaster in the UK. You go to bed or I go to bed. You go to a, a concert by the sound of it. You wake up in the morning and Jalen Ramsey's been traded. Yeah. I mean, I did go to bed after the concert. Oh, you did? Um, okay. Just, just, just to make things clear. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that hardcore, but yeah, it, it was, it was a busy day for the Rams who obviously realized that they are in trouble. Um, remember Joseph Notaboom, uh, who was starting, but not very effectively at guard, um, went out injured. So they needed help there. And, they also got rid of Marcus Peters in the same in the same uh, sort of series of moves. So Ramsey exactly. that broke first, didn't it? So the Peters yeah. deal to Baltimore for a fifth round pick broke first, which uh, all the uh, eagle-eyed sleuths out there thought, okay, something is coming. And Jalen Ramsey has been, of course, uh, linked with a, a huge amount of speculation about a move away from Jacksonville. It, it was the logical choice. It was perhaps no surprise that that deal got done a, a few hours later. Let's talk about what it yeah, you know, was worth, Mike. Yeah, and two first round picks plus uh, a fourth and a fourth in 2021. Because the rumors had said a couple of weeks ago that he would, they were offered two first round picks and turned it down. Mm. And and if that's true, Caldwell, you know, Caldwell has done well by hanging on to him, um, for a couple of more weeks. Cause, you know, obviously his, his value is probably never going to be higher. He's in the last year of his rookie contract. Uh, and I think in his mind, that's mostly what this is about. Um, you know, was not having been offered an extension beforehand. Mm. So now it will be up to the Rams to, um, to try to re-sign him if they if he plays well, if, you know, if he fits in, and there's no reason why he shouldn't fit in because he's a better cornerback than Peters. Uh, Peters is a, is a great player in some ways, but as Kansas City found out, you know, he still can't get away from that um, that propensity to 
to take risks, to gamble and lose. Um, so, you know, Ramsey is a much more solid corner in, in that sense, in a better coverage. So they save salary cap money with Peters, which will help them. Yeah, about five million they shave off the cap this year because, as you say, he's on Rams on the final year of his rookie deal. So right. Akib Talib's on IR, and reports he might come back at some point this season, but it's a, a fairly significant injury. So, all in all, then taking the taking the finance out of it for a minute, just on the field, are the Rams that much better off with Ramsey, uh, given what they've given up for him in terms of draft picks? Not really. Um, not, not in the short term future. And I'm not convinced Talib will come back at what he was three years ago, say. Um, the problems with the Rams go in part to depth, which is something that you have to address when you're looking at your salary cap. Uh, you, you look up front and although Sue was a disappointment to them last year up front, they lack a quality pass rusher. Um, they, they, Fowler is not the answer when they, mm. when they picked him up last year. And Donald is a great threat, you know, inside. But when you look at Wade Phillips's defenses, he's tended to have an outside linebacker who is a really good pass rusher. Mm. Um, Von Miller in Denver, Sean Merriman in, um, in, uh, San yeah, Diego. Yeah. And, he doesn't have that now, and, and he's, he's, he doesn't have much backup on the D-line. Uh, his linebacking still isn't in the middle, still isn't in the way I think he would want it to be in terms of run-stopping. So I think they have real depth issues, and then, of course, the offensive line, which I know, you know you'll mention Austin Corbett they picked up from um, Cleveland, who's kind of surplus to Cleveland's needs, although he's versatile. He has started. Um, he was pretty highly regarded when they got him, so he'll, he'll fit right in now into their offensive line and, and help that because that's been another problem. But, you know, it's in the NFL, there aren't too many guys who are one player solutions to your problems. Uh, it's an upgrade, whether it's worth the cost, you know, what, what's the, uh, what's the, uh, news expression, you know, by the failed reporter who doesn't get it, you know, time will tell. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think from Jacksonville's point of view, they are competitive without Ramsey which they've proven already. And now they have the picks to be able to move on to whatever they need to move on to stre- to strengthen the team. And, you know, and their, their big question, I think will be quarterback um, mm. between uh, Minshew and, and Nick Foles. And one thing with rookie quarterbacks, uh, especially, you know, as the season rolls on and especially with guys who weren't drafted high and often that's for a reason is that, the qualities tend to come out, you know, teams, right. teams look at tape and they figure out ways to make life harder. We might uh, even get for a quarterback. I know. Well, I think maybe. And, um, you know, and I think, I think we can have, we'll have the same discussion, um, um, around Allen and, um, Cam Newton, uh, with Carolina, you know, when, cause Cam is supposedly coming back during the bye week and, and that gives them a dilemma. So, you know, Foles and Minshew, Minshew, um, Allen, Allen and Cam, you know, what, what do you do in those situations? Uh, just one more on, on Ramsey. A lot of, uh, a lot of has been written about his behavior in the last, you know, four or five weeks. So it all kicked off when it kicked off with him and Doug Marone on the sidelines. And, uh, he seemed to be, uh, despite requesting a trade immediately after that in the immediate aftermath, he seemed to be towing quite a professional line and played the next week. And 
But then cracks started to appear and back injuries. And I think he, the birth of his child, <laughs> he took time off. And then he had flu and he hasn't been playing for weeks. Uh, so should there be any concern from the Rams about his professionalism or lack of it? Or do you think that it is reasonable for him to have behaved the way that he has? Uh, those are two different questions. Um, that's not a yes, no. Uh, you can, you can argue that he hasn't quite been reasonable, that my back injury right now is much worse than his. And, <laughs> and I, and I'm not on the I, on the IR. My football injury from uh, football <laughs> last night, I was telling you about Mike. I think it's probably equally bad. Yeah. Um, and the, 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 the fights with Doug Marone, I think were more about the direction the team was going. But as I said before, underlying that, I think is his, his desire to be treated with quote unquote respect in terms of a long-term deal. Mm. Uh, you know, and, and I think a better run franchise would have addressed that last year or right. you know, af- after the end of last season, because Jalen Ramsey is the kind of guy you, you sort of want to build a team around. Um, and, you know, what was just crucial or essential to, to when they were, when they were successful and looked like they were building, um, a good, a good team. Mike, but, if you were Dave Caldwell, you're in his job now. Would you have done this deal? Or would you? I would have. Try, I would have really avoided it um, by by trying to deal with the situation before it became a situation. Like I like I've just said. But I mean, um, would you have given him the money? Or would you have paid him? Uh, probably, yeah. probably depending on what the money was. I mean, I wasn't, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to blow up the team, uh, to make, to do that. But he's certainly, if not the best, you know, one of the couple of best corners in the league. Yeah. And you have a team that's built on your defense there. They were a defense first team. So you have to take that into consideration. At this point, I think Caldwell's done very well to get the haul that he has for yeah. him. Um, and you know, and, and so that's, that's a positive, but, um, for the Rams point of view, I don't think Jalen Ramsey's a problem at all. I think. In that sense, he's professional. Yes, he's got a bit of attitude, um, but you know, so does Richard Sherman, for example. Sure, look look sure. what look what's happened with the 49ers. and everybody was criticizing Richard Sherman for negotiating his own contract and you know um, not getting enough and blah blah blah. And, and Sherman is ha- is a happy camper. Uh, he's playing extremely well, and the 49ers are unbeaten. So you know, I think Wade Phillips is licking his lips right now because he's. Um, I think much more happy with Jalen Ramsey at corner than he would have been with Peters. Uh, the final thing on this story, NFL.com reporting that, um, Caldwell received interest from numerous teams is how they've uh, described it. One, uh, was proposing to send two first round picks. Yes. Yeah, Another one was a first rounder and a player regarding his having first round value. Um, so there were various different offers on the table. So a, a player in demand, which bodes well, I think, for the Rams. When uh, you know, when you've got a situation that a player is uh, convinced of their superstar status, but the rest of the league isn't, and the offers aren't materialized. Yeah. Well, that, that's true, and I, I think. I think we might have talked about it on 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 this show uh, a couple of weeks ago. The the obvious move to me would have been the Forty ers because mm. Akella Witherspoon went down. Yes, you um, did. Yeah. Or, you know, Ramsey would be a great replacement there. And then I, at that point, I was debating whether he was worth one first round pick or two. So when they said, when, it, you know, when the rumor went around this, that a team had offered two first round picks for him, I kind of thought that might have been the 49ers. And at that point, I thought Caldwell was a little silly to turn it down. Um, you know, but he came up with an extra fourth and, and, and that's good for him. And, you know, now we'll see, um, if Doug Marone, if anybody else has uh, differences with Doug Marone, it's interesting because the Patriots have suspended Michael Bennett for a game um, just just yesterday mm. um, because he got in an argument with Brett, uh, Brett Bielma, the um, line coach, the former Wisconsin 
head coach um, and Nebraska head coach. And uh, they said it was, you know, the, the argument was over philosophical differences. And, and I'm thinking, you know, Michael Bennett's just had it with this BS neoplatonist stuff. You know, he, when he, when he looks at the jets, he doesn't see a shadow of a team against the cave wall. He sees an actual football team, Beelman, or maybe it's the other way around, but philosophical differences can really, can really split a team, especially when you got like a Nietzschean, like Belichick at the, at the I top. love it. We're getting metaphysical uh, very early on a Wednesday morning. Uh, let's um, move on uh, to speaking of metaphysical to Monday night football. Um, uh, and just look back quickly at that Packers win, which, uh, by all accounts, was a lucky win because the Lions popped, weren't they, with horrendous officiating calls, particularly at the death uh, on Trey Flowers, which I, I haven't found anybody that has rationalized why those flags were given. No, I mean, I'm sitting there going holding hands to the face and I'm talking about the offensive line. Malaga, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and in fairness, um, they had, they had, I think, three holding penalties on the Packers earlier in the game. So they might have just been getting bored with that and decided, decided to spice it up. But there was just, there were just a series of insane calls in that game. Um, there was one where, um, Tracy Walker was the victim of two, I think. Um, one was a holding, uh, on Jimmy Graham where Graham basically stumbled. And, and it was literally five yards off the line of scrimmage. So you're allowed contact. Um, but Graham made his cut and stumbled and the referee called them for holding. Uh, Walker was done for a helmet to helmet, which I think was, was very harsh. And, and I know Cleet Blakeman gave the explanation that, you know, it doesn't matter if the helmets clash. That's, a, that's the penalty. That's the foul as they call them in the, in the NBA now. Uh, oh, sorry, the NFL now, <laughs> you know, um, but that's the way they're, that's the way they're going. Well, it's and, going and it's yeah. deliberate. But, you know, he was going for the ball, which was low. So he went in with his head low and, and the receiver's head went, went low as well. Um, so that, that's a hard one to, um, it's a hard one to, to call. Um, but there, but there you go. Then you had, uh, carry on Johnson catches a pass and he traps it against his chest and he brings it down with both hands. Then he sees a tackler coming from his left. So he switches it to his right hand. And as he's stretching, he drops, you know, he fumbles the ball and it goes out of bounds. Well, he took three steps while he was doing this and he had control of the ball the whole time until he didn't. But when he didn't, he was already a runner in my mind. I mean, it was pretty obvious. And, you know, if you think of the Juju uh, Smith Schuster fumble a couple of weeks ago, which was a fumble, um, this was to me almost exactly the same situation. He had done more than enough to establish himself as a runner. And then of course they say he never got control of the ball, you know, and, and so there, so that's, that's just a bunch of um, a bunch of bad calls that all seemed to go one way. And it's unfair to blame that completely because the lions, the lions left a lot of points on the board. Um, which, you know, which was their own fault. They had a stupid 12 men on the field penalty. Yeah. Um, Did you see the story that the, about one or two plays after the Packers had 13 on the field, but weren't flagged for it? Yeah. But why would they be? <laughs> <laughs> it was funny though. You know, it was, injury, right? Yeah. It was funny because, um, Mason Crosby was yelling to the referees. They had 12 on the field mm. and the 12th man was literally standing behind the other 11 counting <laughs> at the time, at the yeah. time. But, they blew the whistle then, and I thought maybe. And I, I tried looking it up, and I couldn't. I couldn't find it. I thought you know you don't have twelve men on the field un, until until the ball snapped. Which, if that were true, creates an interesting thing where you can call a timeout on a field goal after the ball snapped. 
Mm. I mean, in reality, you know, you're doing it on the sidelines before, but um, but you can get a penalty before the ball snapped, and and that I, I really would like an ex an explanation of that one. And then there, so actually there was explanations because uh, our friend Mike Tanier, the terrific writer. That, uh, oh, I read that column on the train last night. That that's that was very good. Yes, Wait, Colin, we'll fire it out from our, our social channels at the NC Show. We'll we'll push it out there. It's all about um, well officiating ambiguity, and specifically in terms of the pass interference challenge rule that, that's come in uh, and again the lack of clarity on what constitutes yeah. pass interference which seems to get more muddled as the years go yeah by. M- mike's um because i've been saying this for a long time including on the various podcasts we've done <laughs> the, the problem with the nfl is that they have a rule the rules tend to be badly written to the um and amb- ambiguous mm. then they give the officials official official interpretations of how they're supposed to call the rule which are generally totally ambiguous and subjective so it, it makes it very hard to defend and mike's point in the in the um in the column was that the pass interference challenge rule and you notice that um there was one play that was a very obvious pass interference in that um, in that Detroit game where Will Redmond was all over Marvin Jones and Patricia it wasn't called and didn't Patricia challenge didn't it, yeah. challenge it. Now I think Matt Patricia realizes that ever since he wore that T-shirt with Roger Goodell and a, and a red nose um, on the T-shirt, <laughs> he that he's never he's never going to win an, an, a challenge in the NFL, so he didn't bother to challenge it. But Mike Mike made the point that the NFL created the challenge thing because the quote unquote competition committee wanted to. And Sean Payton, of course, is a, a big member of the competition committee yeah. to try to do away with the Nick Hill, Roby Coleman hit in, in the NFC championship last year. But what's happened is they put this in, but they don't really want to make changes. So unless it's a, unless it's as egregious as the Nick Hill, Roby Coleman one, they're, they're not going to yeah. overturn. Um, um, and it's it's kind of like, yeah, you've got this problem with Colin Kaepernick and, and all this stuff. How does the NFL sign it, solve it? You hire Jay-Z. It, you know, it, it's it's like it's like metaphorically the same thing. Uh, you don't actually change the rule. You just yeah. you just pretend that you pretend that you do. Yeah. And and I and I think that that's really the the problem. And and if you yeah, have a great quote in that piece, Mike from from Mike Pereira, who of course used to uh, be the head of officiating at the NFL. Now is a is a TV pundit. Uh, Mike quotes him in the piece because he called him uh, and he said, "I'm so glad that you're calling me." Uh, to tell me what pass interference is, Pereira said, and then he went on to say, "Nobody really." Yeah. Well, I wish I wish he'd say that when he's on air at Fox instead of you know, him and Dean Blandino and Gene Steratore. Command Center. Yes, all pretending that you know what they do is they rationalize how the call was right, and occasionally when it's really bad, they'll they'll admit that it's wrong. I Mike no do longer answers to some degree. Do they rationalize why? You the can, official made the call as opposed to necessarily suggesting they were yes, right or wrong. Yes, but you know, but in like in terms of those fumbles I mentioned, you know, mm. con- what is control? What's possession and what's control? Mm. You know, and and how do you know? Yeah. How do you know watching the replay that the guy doesn't have control of the ball, which is sitting between his two hands and his chest? Mm. You know, if that and he's running forward, <laughs> he's moving. Yeah, if yeah. that's not if that's not control, you know, I, I don't know what is. Mike Pereira doesn't answer my emails anymore. Unfortunately. <laughs> Certainly, um, but, he, but, but yeah, but he hasn't, he hasn't uh, blocked me, 
great, which which is nice. I like Mike. I've met Mike um, <laughs> you know, back back in the days, uh, and he he was he was a fun a fun guy. But is that your you benchmark know, on Twitter, Carlson? He hasn't booked me. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, but it's kind of you know a secret society where where nobody nobody really knows you know, the code the code words, and uh, if if you don't know it, you you can't you can't really get in. And and part of the problem too is that the NFL tends to be a knee jerk reaction league in terms sure. of of refereeing and decisions. So if you get a very bad call in a big game that's on national television, if the, if that if that Nickel Coleman hit had happened in a game against uh, against Tennessee. Arizona or Tennessee, yeah. nobody yeah. would have cared. But because it was in a big situation, the NFL then has to be seen to be doing something. Sure. And yeah. I think Mike is absolutely right. This is the perfect way to be seen to be doing something, but then not actually do very do much. Anything. Yeah. Uh, so worth uh, reading that piece. Like I say, the, the boys will fire it out. Let's move on, Mike. We've got a busy old show. We've got ask the return of Ask Mike coming shortly. We're very excited about. It. We've got a, a jam packed mailbag there, and they are. It's combination of football and non-football questions we're going to get into there Good. um to honor uh, the old classic back in the, the channel five days late night styles but before we get into that we're going to get your top five as well and and to segue into that news that the tennessee titans have confirmed that ryan Tannehill is going to start uh, for them on sunday against the chargers so of course uh, marcus mariota yanked uh last sunday um against the Broncos, Tannehill came in uh, and he now retains the job. Uh, so Ryan Tannehill, the former Miami Dolphin, getting another bite at the cherry. Uh, and uh, interesting implications in terms of what this means for Mariota, presumably the end of the road in Tennessee. Is he going to land a starting gig somewhere else potentially next season? Do you, think? I, you know, I think he'll be a lot like Tannehill or, um, and, and this is an interesting one. I'm just going to digress for a second. Wow. Who's the backup quarterback in, in Los Angeles with the Rams? Blake Bortles. Blake Bortles, a reunion of Bortles and Jalen Ramsey. And, yeah. you know, it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting idea there, but I think he'll be like Tannehill. as well, right? Pardon me? And Fowler, too. That's another number. And Dante Fowler. Fowler. Absolutely right. Yeah, well spotted. Um, you know, I think, I think that Mariota will wind up like Tannehill. Um, and he'll, he'll be signed as a backup somewhere, but a guy who can potentially come in and play, uh, on a team which maybe has a volatile quarterbacking mm-hmm. situation or a team that loses one of their quarterbacks, you know, and, so, and they need to replace him in, in, in free agency. But the interesting thing too, and Mike, Mike Tanier was on fire, <laughs> uh, the early days of this week because he did a column as well about, um, the similarities between Jameis Winston and Mariota, yes. uh, who came in one and two in the draft and there was huge arguments as to which which was better um and winston is probably gone in tampa as well although bruce Arians is still saying that he thinks he can you know help winston to be in the quarterback he could be uh i mean he certainly was on that road sunday notwithstanding he certainly played probably the best football of his of his pro career so far under Arians, hasn't he well Yes and no. <laughs> I mean, anyone who watched, anyone who's out at Whitehart, oh yeah, you were there with me, weren't you? Yeah, I said I could someday notwithstanding. Yeah, yeah, couldn't, couldn't. Up to that point, Carlson. Yeah, and it, and it was, he was making all the same Jameis Winston mistakes. You know, I thought it was just poetic justice that his first interception and his last interception both came because he just stood in the pocket looking at one receiver. And then finally threw the ball. Um, when the defensive back realizes, oh, I'll just not stay on him <laughs> so that James throws the ball, then I'll intercept it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and he had the, he had all the, he had the fumbles. Uh, you know, he, he couldn't read the pocket. Well, and I said at one point, I think during, during the Sunday, if you could put Mariota's um, head on, on Winston's body, 
you might have a better quarterback. But Marcus doesn't make great decisions either. Um, But he also doesn't have the arm strength to drive balls the way that that Winston does. Yeah. Um, he did a bit so, west as well. Looking at his stats, I mean, his sophomore season was was by far his most accomplished, I think. And he had an all right rookie season as rookie seasons go. And at that point, the end of the 2016 season, he was, I think, ahead in the in the uh, the running race with Winston. Yeah, the one guy I would like to see him work with, or well, it's three guys, but I'd like to see him work with one of those Eagles coaches who did so well um, with Nick Foles. Although I don't think Mariota is actually a shotgun quarterback, but you know, you see what DeFilippo's done with Minshew in Jacksonville. Minshew's not a shotgun quarterback, really. So you know, they're they're playing him out of the tee a lot, and that that allows them to get um, better running for. Um, Fournette because they can put a tight end or uh, in front of him or a fullback um, as a lead blocker, which makes him more effective. And and I think Mariota would be more effective in that kind of system, except that that's kind of what Tennessee has tried along the years. He's had different coaches almost every year, uh, head yeah. coach or offensive coordinator. Um, and you, that was you, Tom Bradford's problem, wasn't he? I don't think he had, to an extent, yeah, player. absolutely. And and you would think that kind of offense would work in Tennessee, where you know where where you mm. could have we have a power running back, you have a good tight end like like Walker who can catch passes. Um, but he could bounce to New York, Mike. He could be the backup there, of course, Pat Shermer there if he is there next season. That would be an interest. That would be an interesting move um, because Shermer Shermer has used Jones in a lot of that run pass option kind of stuff. Which remember Mariota coming out of Oregon was people didn't understand that Chip Kelly's offense was not a pass crazy offense. It was based on the quarterback running, mm. and the threat of the quarterback as a runner was what created openings for them. And Mariota was a really good runner in that system, but nobody wants to, apart from uh, John Harbaugh wants to run their, run their quarterback in, in a system like that as if he were a running back. Right. We need to press on. I might. Uh, Please do. So Mariota might well be in, if we're doing this particular segment next year, in your top five next year. Uh, but for now, he, uh, I guess he won't be eligible for it because I Mike's top five, top five backup quarterbacks. So we think of all time. Was this a was this a list? This was sort of all time, um, and and based basically on a season um, rather than like career backups. Okay, um, so let's um, set some ground rules. Says so on a season, do you have five or are there more than five? I, well, I always have more than five <laughs> ready, but I'm going to give you I'm going to give you the choice in terms of how they're ordered. Oh, nice. Do you count a guy who was a backup hmm. and the starting quarterback was hurt in preseason? Yeah, and the I backup think then came in. Yeah, play. I think that's, that's fair. That is fair. Okay, that change that changes the ordering somewhat. Okay, okay. Right. So um, I had a lot of I had a lot of oppor- opportunities here, um, and because you've just put somebody into the um, into the <laughs> top five, you've knocked Jeff Hoss Settler out of it. Oh, um, in on the ninety Giants, who won the Super Bowl over the Bills, Haas was five and zero the last five games of the season after he replaced um, Phil Sims. Phil Sims, yeah. Um, so at number five is Randall Cunningham. Mm-hmm. Cunningham came in um, for Brad Johnson, and Brad Brad got injured. Um, and uh, Cunningham came in and went thirteen and one as a starter. They went all the way to the NFC Championship game, and that was the one they they lost um, when Gary Anderson missed a field goal for the first time all season. Oh. And then and then Morton Anderson won the game um, in overtime for for the uh, Falcons. So he he's at number five. Um, at num at number four is uh, Tom Brady, who. The Patriots were 0-2 when Drew Bledsoe um, 
left the game with a ruptured spleen. And um, Brady went 14-3 and three for the old 2001 Pats. Whatever happened to him? I don't know. You know, he, he kicked around the league for a while. Um, yeah. you know, Bill Belichick seems to like him, so he keeps him around as a good luck charm, I think. Um, <laughs> so uh, number three is Kurt Warner, who's the guy who I add to the list um, because of uh, – because of your decision, you remember Trent Green got hurt in preseason. Rodney Harrison broke his knee um, yeah. with a fairly cheap shot um, in in pass rush. Warner came in. Um, the Rams went all the way to the Super Bowl. Everybody talked about his Arena League um, Arena League history. Very few mentioned that he was the starting quarterback for the Amsterdam Admirals. NFL Europe. So did he, he went from NFL Europe to the Arena League to the NFL. Was that no, it was the other way around. Way around. Uh, Arena League to the NFL. Um, the Rams sent him to uh, NFL Europe. And apparently Dick Vermeil said, you know, we're going with Kurt Warner. We'll be fine. And Warner had not taken a first team snap all in preseason. <laughs> so it was a, it's kind of a leap of faith of some it's sort. Definition of a leap of faith. Yeah, it yeah. worked out pretty well. But it worked out re- very well for everybody. Um, and, you know, couldn't wish the guy more success. Such a nice guy. Yeah. Um, number and two is Jim. As well for that matter. I mean, one yeah. of my all-time favorite coaches. We've got to do a top five favorite coaches as well. Absolutely. Number five is, number two is Jim Plunkett. Mm. Um, now Plunkett did, on Sunday, of course. Yeah. On Sunday. Oh, Plunkett Sunday. did it twice. And Plunkett is interesting guy. His career record in regular season is, is 500, 72 and 72. He's Eli Manning for a new era, <laughs> but in the playoffs, he's eight and two with two Super Bowl wins. So his case for a Super Bowl, for a Hall of Fame spot is pretty much the same as Eli's. Um, with the, 80 Raiders, he replaced uh, Dan Pastorini when Pastorini broke his leg. Um, he threw like, I think it was four interceptions in his first game with the Raiders and then took them on to the Super Bowl win. And then in 83, he was the starter, but he played so badly that they replaced him with Mark Wilson, who was their quarterback of the future. Wilson lasted two games before he got hurt. And then he came back in and replaced Wilson um, and took them to a second Super Bowl win. So that's, that's pretty good subbing. But since you've since you have allowed guys who replace a quarterback in preseason, the number one guy undoubtedly is Earl Morrill. Mm. Uh, first with, with the Colts, uh, when Johnny Unitas got hurt in the last game of preseason came in, the Colts went 13 and one in the regular season. They went 15 and one. Uh, they won the two games in the playoffs. And then they, of course, lost to Joe Namath and the Jets in Super Bowl three. One of the biggest yeah. shocks ever, right? Yeah. And Morrill had a horrible game in that, in that game. And Unitas came and replaced him and didn't do much better. And then with the 72 Dolphins, of, of course, yep. um, they were five and oh with Bob Greasy when Greasy got hurt. Morrill then they went 11 and 0 with Morrill all the way to the Super Bowl, and then Don Shula with the extra weeks rest before the Super Bowl decided to start Greasy in the Super Bowl again, which turned out to be the right move because the Dolphins won and completed a, an undefeated season. So Earl Morrill is your number one backup of all time. Apologies to uh, Doug Flutie and, and to Trent Dilfer, the immortal Trent Dilfer, who went nine and one with the 2000 Ravens after he replaced touchdown Tony Banks. I uh, wholeheartedly approve of that selection for obvious reasons. Uh, Moral, uh, do you know how much the Dolphins picked him up for off wa- off the waivers? Hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> yeah, hundred bucks. Hundred bucks. Yeah, the waiver waiver fee was pretty low in those days. Yeah, the good old days. Cracking stuff. I might loving that. And if you want to request request a top five, that uh, is uh, uh, something we will take under careful consideration. To fire that in at the NC show. We're going to be rolling them all through the season and beyond, of course. We're rolling. 
knows how far it <laughs> to is. To the Super Bowl and beyond. Beyond. Um, <laughs> I spy a spin-off show right here. Speaking of which, speaking of which, delighted to wheel out for the first time. No, there are no whistles or bells. There's no jingle. There's no stab. There's nothing at the moment. We maybe we'll work on that like we did it in the old days. Um, He'll, had this on okay, tele- are you ready? Dun, 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 dun. He'll <laughs> answer anything you like. It's Ask Mike. <laughs> it's a bit of work. I like your pitch, Mike. Thank you. Nice uh, singing voice. I never realized that. Um, I hope you were singing at the gig last night. It was uh, Bill Frizzell, um, who's, a, who's a jazz guitarist, but he, he really goes all over the place. And um, he has a quartet that he records with sometimes. And so the cello player, Hank Roberts from the quartet was there along with a, a second guitarist who was playing a bit of bass on his guitar and a singer called Petra Hayden, who's the daughter of Charlie Hayden, who's a, who just died this year. Um, great jazz bass player who Frizzell had played with um, many times. And so they did a really eclectic mix of music. And, and it was sometimes like listening to a, uh, cubism or deconstruction of some of the music because Frizzell likes to likes to play odd notes the 60s marches uh, did they cover any AJ Tracy no no AJ <laughs> Tracy sorry all right uh, let's get into the mailbag and ask Mike then I'm going to start with uh, speaking of AJ Tracy I'm going to start with Kev uh, Kevin Yule hey Kev uh, he says with Spurs hosting the NFL in a new stadium What's Mike's favorite stadium? Uh, and he qualifies this by asking or referencing atmosphere, comfort. And he also has a follow-up question. How many have you been in? So how many? Uh, I've, been, I've been in remarkably few. Yeah. yeah. Um, because. Uh, well, over here doing the games, right? That's the problem. Yeah. Um, for many years, I was doing Super Bowls from here. And, and in the States, um, be without uh, absent the Super Bowl. Uh, I had only been to New Orleans as a spectator for the Super Bowl for, for the Bears Patriots and to, um, uh, what, what, what was it called in those days? The Giant, the Giant Stadium for a Jets playoff game one year. And I think that was about it. I went to the Yale What's Bowl. What's your favorite? When the, favorite when the Giants played. Time? Yeah. When the Giants played at the Yale Bowl. Um, I'm sure my favorite stadium would be Lambeau Field if I had ever been there, but but I haven't. <laughs> We've got to get that. We've got to fix that, gang. Iron Mike's never been to Lambeau. We've got to, all right, well, I'll work on that as uh, as, a, as a, a work in progress plan to do a show from from Green Bay and head to a game at Lambeau. Yeah. I've got to work on that. But to tell you, actually, my favorite, it's not an NFL, but my favorite was going to Murray Field to do NFL Europe with the Scottish Claymores. Um, How come? It was just a great atmosphere. Um, the, the, the World Bowl that was played there with the Claymores and uh, Frankfurt Galaxy with, with 39,000 people um, was, was to me one of my favorite football games ever um, because the atmosphere was so good. It was a great game. It was a back and forth. Uh, there were some fantastic plays, especially by one of my guys, Yo Murphy, uh, for the Claymores, a receiver who eventually did get into the NFL too, which, which, which was nice. Mario Bailey um, from Frankfurt, who never did get the NFL, was one of the best World League players. So, so I really, really enjoyed that one a lot. Um, okay, nice one. We've got two minutes to get into, Mike, so I'll keep them rolling. Paul Munro uh, asks, uh, or says, Jason Garrett, the Cowboys head coach, gets a lot of flack. Do you think, Mike, Dallas have the pieces in place and that it's the coaching that's the problem, or is the team just not as good 
as we thought they were. They're not as good as we thought they were. That, that's the that's the first thing. And remember, too, they are missing both their starting tackles. Um, but depth is depth is kind of one of those things that you have to you have to address. Um, do you pay Dak? Do you give Dak the dollar? Uh, see, I'm. I wasn't. I wasn't going along with the with the with the Dak hype. Uh, if you know, he Dak is not Russell Wilson. Um, and you remember back in the back in the day, I liked Dak a lot. I had him rated third among the quarterbacks in that draft. Mm. Um, you know, when when very few other people were were um, giving him that kind of respect. But not many are Russell Wilson, though, Mike. That's no, that's hard, true. That's but hard. I mean, you don't make Dak the highest paid quarterback in the league. And it's a, it's a dilemma, but I think coaching is a huge part of it. And I think we were fooled because they ran over some bad teams at the start of the season, um, who, who literally played into their strengths as well. Defensively, they're not as strong as people thought. Um, they do have a couple of great linebackers. Um, but that's not really enough to, to, to carry you through. And People joke uh, about Garrett and being yeah, a yes man and, you know, not particularly capable strategically and the mistakes he makes in games tactically, particularly in terms of clock management and, 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 uh, and the like. Uh, do you think that's why he survived for so long with a <clears throat> relatively mediocre record uh, for a team, uh, a franchise like the Cowboys? Because Jerry Jones... Uh, can push him around. Do you think? Or do you think I, I think that's part of it. I think there's, there's an element of truth to that. Um, I also think that Jerry Jones likes having somebody there who everyone will blame without blaming right. Jerry without blaming Jerry Jones. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's that's sad uh, for Garrett. Uh, but you, you're right. It's a you know you don't think of him as an offensive mind. Uh, so what, what's the function then? The function is sort of be a leader. And, and unless he's more of a leader than we see, um, in, in game time or whatever, you know, you just, you just wonder. Sometimes the best kind of coach is, is the guy who's not necessarily a great tactician, but, but is the kick, kick the team up the butt kind of yeah. guy who can lead from the front. Uh, here's a great one from Michael. Smith at the NC show. If you want to get your questions in, uh, ask Mike. We're going to be wheeling out uh, a lot this season on the Wednesday show. Will the Finns and Bengals game on the 22nd of December be flipped to Cartoon Network? That wins. That wins the day. Um, yeah, I, I think that that might be a good idea. I felt a little sorry for the Dolphins um, in in the Washington game, um, but you have to admire Brian Flores deciding to win like a man, you know, and and um, and go for two uh, rather rather than tie it up and and punish us with another 20, 15 minutes of football. All the well, that's a very fair point. He could be the shrewdest cat on the block, of course, as well. Look, getting all the plaudits for being gutsy and. Yeah. And, you know, this whole tank thing, I think, is getting yeah. highly overrated because, you know, look what's happening. Everybody now is jumping off the Tua bandwagon and jumping onto Joe Burrow's bandwagon. Ooh, and now I'm glad you mentioned that because Ben Isaac's coming up in the show later. You're a pro, and Mike, and he's going to talk us through the top five quarterbacks in the draft. So we'll get the latest uh, from him on that very shortly. Uh, here's one from Carl. And a few of you have asked the same question curiously, or maybe not curiously. When does the aforementioned Blake Bortles come in for golf in LA? Is there any chance that he has another stinker? Are they going to bench golf for a little bit? You think that's an interesting question because I think you, it's, it's going to be Sean McVay's decision as to how benching is going to affect Goff's presumably fragile mentality. Um, there is the perception that, that he's a robot quarterback that, you know, his success depends on McVay telling him where to throw the ball, you know, who's going to be open, what, what to do. But 
if they were having a bad game, if, if Goff was having a really bad game, and remember, he throws for lots of yardage in some of these games they've lost, but they're not able to, you know, to make it. If he has another game like the one he had this week, then you might put Bortles in in the second half to see what he can do. And that's always <laughs> – it's always a difficulty because when you're losing badly in the second half, it can be garbage time yeah. unless your quarterback ra- – but if your quarterback rallies you into the game, then – now you've got a quarterback controversy. But Bortles, if you think about it, is the same kind of guy as Goff. Strong arm, not necessarily um, not necessarily a guy who can pick out the right receiver. Um, a lot of inaccuracy uh, mixed in with, with the strong arm. But I know Bortles, Goff's playing badly at the moment, but he's a much more reliable quarterback than, than Bortles. Well, yes and yes and no. I mean, uh, you know, I would like to see what Bortles could do in a high-powered offensive situation. Oh, that's a fair uh, point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, go back to Jacksonville, and, you know, he, he rarely was in anything you might have called high-powered, although when the two Allens were, were functioning, um, you know, together yes. and Fournette was having yeah. his best year, they, they yeah. were a decent offense at that point. Yeah. And a part of the problem, too, with, with, with the Rams is that people have figured out now the the offensive line's not very good and going back to Corbett Corbett was a cat tackle in college conceivably he they could try him at tackle if they needed to I mean he's going to go in and play guard right now but um you know I, I think their tackles are especially in the pass blocking thing now starting to prove a bit vulnerable all right well- one more for you, Mike, from Ryan Hall. Appreciate it, Ryan. A very important question to end on, I feel, anyway. Uh, favorite ingredients, Mike, in a burger, and who do you get to make it? <laughs> well, you know, there is a burger somewhere. I remember my buddies at Cold Hard Football Facts going out toward Pittsburgh and discovering there was a Ben Roethlisberger, um, <laughs> which had all kinds of stuff in it. You know, it was like it was like a human it was like a human bomb um, <laughs> in your system. If you have good beef. Um, then I don't put anything in the burger. If you oh, have, really? if you have really good mince, you, you can just make your patty and, and cook it and, and it's going to be good. Are you um, saying nothing at all? No mustard, no ketchup? Well, that depends on the, it depends on how good that meat is. So you think of a steak tartare and, okay. you know, okay, now the first thing you might add is a little egg to bind the thing. So, so, so it doesn't, um, it doesn't crumble up on, on your, on your skillet. And, and then some people would put some breadcrumbs or something in it. Um, if, especially if you like garlic breadcrumbs, if you, if you get them packaged and not make your own. But, um, I will sometimes put, you got to pick an NFL legend uh, or NFL. Yeah. Well, I'll president. sometimes put it, I'll sometimes put, um, a little mustard and Worcester sauce in, um, okay. and occasionally anchovy. Um, which which gives it a kind of bite. Who would make controversial, Mike? Yeah, who would make my burgers? I think this is easy. That's the easiest question I've been asked. Vince Wilfork. (laughs) If I'm going to go to a barbecue, if I'm going to go to a cookout, if I'm going to go to a picnic, I want Vince doing the cooking because I am not going to go away from that hungry. It is a no-brainer staring us in the face. And a fine way to wrap up, ask Mike and indeed uh, the great Mike Carlson's Wednesday session. Crack and work, man. Uh, oh, thank you. Com. Mike Carlson, FMTE is where you can catch more of his stylings. And I want I want to just promo that just a second because two of the games I got wrong, <laughs> oh, well which which were Pittsburgh beating the Chargers and the Jets beating Dallas, I actually said that I felt an upset coming, but I couldn't bring myself to pick it. So we cowardly, were, cowardly Mike at, at Patreon.com that last we week. We were 
after the the Spurs game, we were sharing a cab back, uh, getting out of there, and we had a game pass rolling on our tablet in the back, and uh, we were talking about that Cowboys game, which of course was a later kickoff, so we hadn't it hadn't started yet. But you said you picked them, and they'd been my lock of the week uh, for a column I wrote, and we were both <laughs> we were both. Uh, Highly skeptical of our of our pick at that stage. <laughs> yeah, there's no way they would have been a lock. That's that's for sure. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Appreciate that. <laughs> Look after yourself, bud, and we'll see you next Wednesday. See ya. Excellent stuff from Iron Mike. Before we get into Ben Isaacs, just a quick shout out to our friends at Touchdown Trips. Go to touchdowntrips.com if you want to plan uh, a trip stateside to a college game, an NFL game, a high school game, or all of the above and they've got some really fantastic tailored packages as well so if the games in london so far have got you in the mood for more and you want to go and head over stateside uh, across the atlantic and get an nfl game up close and personal those are the guys to do it go and check it out there right then speaking of which college football rolling up once again this weekend who better than to get into that and look at the top five quarterbacks that could be in the draft next year with our friend our college expert ben isaacs Ben Isaacs, how are you, man? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Just heard from Mike Carson that he would get Vince Wilfork, if he could pick any NFL player, past or present, or coach for that matter, to, to uh, cook a burger for him. Oh, uh, he, boy. he went with Vince. Who would you go with? Which college, college oh. player or coach, past or present, if you are having a barbie at Isaacs Towers... Uh, and you're going to have have a chef to sort out the barbie. Who are you going with? I'm, I'm, I'm going to cheat, and I'm going to say a coach. I'm going to say Nick Saban, because... Ooh, because he is the ultimate college football perfectionist, but he yes. also he also says he thinks that he doesn't like tailgating. And I think if he if what he came round if he came round to mine, cooked a barbecue. I've got a very excellent barbecue. I'm not going to lie. I, bet I got him. He would he would pour all his energy into it, and he'd be like, Do you know what, Ben? I think tailgating would be great, and I really want to come on the Nat Coon show now. Do you know what I heard the other day? Hulk Hogan, um, Hulk okay. Hogan passed on the George Foreman grill. Some guy was was offering him deals as, as these uh, guys get. You know, we've got an electric toothbrush, we've got a, a, a you know a juice uh, blender, yeah. uh, we've got a grill, and he missed out on it. He called the guy back. Hogan said, "He said, oh, I'm sorry, I've already done a deal with George Foreman for that." And Hogan missed out on. The they Foreman must be deal. heartbroken. I mean, he would be in everyone's everyone's home right now. Well, he, I'd like to feel Hulk Hogan is, and in our hearts, he's in our hearts. Yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> right. Let's get down to business. Uh, top five quarterbacks coming through next year's draft, and we were styling and profiling. Uh, to keep the uh, the wrestling uh, rolling with uh, Iron Mike earlier on. He was talking uh, about the heat cooling down a little bit on tour. So I'm really interested in, in your perspective on that. And I guess uh, the top five will, will, will bear that out a little bit. Yeah, a little, a little bit. So um, it's an interesting week to talk about it because the first three of these five have just come off their toughest game of the season. I'll start with Joe Burrow. Mm. Um, of LSU, no quarterback has seen his draft stock rise as much as Burrow. He's possibly the Heisman front runner now, but it's a very close race. Transferred from Ohio State, started at LSU last season. His completion percentage last year was less than 58%, but this year it's nearly 80%. Throwing 25 touchdowns with only three picks. Really accurate. He makes throws in the tight windows. He's mobile enough to move the chains. Nobody thought he was going to be anything other than perhaps like a day three pick, but he's now being talked about as a first rounder if enough teams are quarterback hungry. He destroyed Florida this week, and that was his 
That's the toughest defense he's faced. Jalen Hurts. It's in his blood as well, isn't it, Burrow? Oh, his, yeah, his, his dad has basically kind of given up. So his, his dad was a, his dad was a quarterback. And now his dad has given up his job basically so he can just follow his son around the country watching him play. He's like, I want to make the most of it, which I like. Okay. So he's in the list and uh, looking yeah. strong. Who else? Uh, Jalen Hurts, who's probably the most exciting quarterback in the nation. He led Alabama to the college football playoff championship game in his two years there as a starter, but then he was benched in the 2017 championship game for Tua Tungavailoa, who obviously we'll get on to. And he was a backup there last season, so he transferred to Oklahoma and has been absolutely sensational. You, you may, even if you don't follow college football, you'll probably know the last two, uh, Oklahoma quarterbacks, Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield. And they've, they've both been drafted at the top of the picks. So after being a backup there, um, he's tearing it up for Oklahoma. He's averaging around 300 yards, three touchdown passes a game and a rushing touchdown every game. Played his way into day one contention. He wasn't thought to be a day one pick and now people are saying, this guy's a first rounder. He's thrilling to watch. He compares well with Baker and Kyler. What I love uh, about him is, as you've just said, you know, he lost the gig in Alabama having done everything asked of him, essentially. Uh, and bouncing back in the way he has just demonstrates the the character and mental toughness you need. He's, oh, yeah. he's a survivor, right? And he didn't throw his um, toys out of the pram when he got benched. He helped to her the whole way. Nick Saban could not speak highly yeah. enough of him. And a lot of quarterbacks would have kind of been off in a half. He worked really hard last, last season, stepped in when he needed to. He helped them win the SEC championship game, but he obviously wanted to, wanted to be a starter and he wasn't going to unseat Tua. Um, someone who did unseat someone else is Jake Fromm of Georgia. And his first year out of high school, he found himself starting because the Georgia quarterback, Jacob Eason, got injured in week one. He wasn't expecting to be thrown into the job. He had to do it, kept the job ever since. Eason's had to transfer out. Fromm's got a great quarterback brain, which makes up for the fact he struggles with a lot of the deeper passes. Um, didn't play well this week. Georgia took their first loss of the season. He threw his first interceptions of the season. It's taken this long. Um, but in general, he was a guy who will not lose you games. If he gets drafted by a good team with an aging quarterback as kind of like the heir apparent, he could be outstanding. Mm. He's but he's perhaps not the saviour of a bad team. He perhaps doesn't have that extra little bit of magic. Um, Justin Herbert would be my number two. He's like the prototype. He's at Oregon. He's got the height. He's got the arm strength, the accuracy. Like from, he maybe lacks a little bit of that magic that Hurts and Tua have in like kind of the making something out of nothing, but he does everything so well. Very experienced, very mature, very intelligent. And unlike the others on the list, though, he's not facing high-level defenses that frequently, so it can be a little harder to evaluate. The others are all kind of battle-tested, whereas the toughest defense that Herbert faced was Auburn in week one, and he kind of flunked that one. He wasn't terrible, but he didn't particularly impress. But although people are getting slightly down on Tua, He's still my number one because he's he started at such a high level that if he has a kind of okay game for his standards, people start looking elsewhere. It's like last year, all season, he was the Heisman Trophy front runner. And then Kyler did some amazing things. And we were so used to Tua doing everything that Tua does. Mm. We kind of stopped being impressed by it. But he's got... Like, he's, Why are people getting down on him? Um, I think just, just because he's... Well, for a start, he doesn't have to win games for Alabama. Um, it's such a kind of um, well-rounded team. He's got great weapons, especially Jerry Judy at wide receiver. So people are saying, okay, well, he doesn't have to do that much. Right. But he's been... The old out- staff at Megatron problem. Oh, he just throws it up and Megatron yeah. catches it. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's more to it than that. Like, it's, it's like we're, we're so used to his heroics that if he has a game where it's like, oh, okay, that, that was a kind of pedestrian for his standards, it's still way above 
most others. We're always looking for like the hot new thing. But yeah. he's got these weapons. No one can no one can watch him and just say his success is down to his supporting cast. He's got a fantastic arm, calm under pressure. He makes the high pressure passes. Not the tallest, but he's he's kind of stocky and strong. And he uses that power to avoid sacks. Sometimes some people will be draped over him and he gets away. Now, some people don't like his mechanics. I can imagine Carlson watching it and not being happy with, he's kind of got this weird kind of hitch in his arm when it kind of comes forward. But you see the results of it. You see how fast the ball comes out and you see where the ball goes. And it's hard to look at that and think, oh, well, it's a problem. But people are going to be, people are going to be nitpicking. That's not a bad thing because if you're going to evaluate a quarterback, you don't just do it on like half an hour of YouTube footage. If you're right. drafting, if you're drafting a guy, if you're a fan ahead of the draft and you want to watch these guys, then yeah, fine. But these people whose job it is to assess them, they're going to look at every single detail and that slightly weird movement in his arm. It will perhaps give some people pause. I love that idea of uh, of front offices basing their draft strategy on thirty minutes of YouTube. <laughs> just, just Google this guy. Do you remember the? Do you remember the? Well, of course you remember the great draft day with Kevin Costner. Uh, one of the things that <laughs> bugs me massively about that film is the opening scene or thereabouts when they are uh, so close to the draft and they decide, oh, let's see if we can do a deal for the pick. Like it never uh, occurred no. to them in the no. preceding five months or however long it was before yeah, the draft. Exactly. If you've got, if you've that. got, if you've got the number one pick, you've, you've spent half a year just thinking about what you're going to do with that pick. You're not making yeah. the decision half a Oh, what should we do then guys? I think we could get some value for this. Uh, yeah. Love it. And um, quickly, before we let you go, Benny, uh, this weekend, uh, some cracking matchups. What can our listeners check out on, on ESPN player? Um, five o'clock, I would watch either Clemson versus Louisville or Auburn, Arkansas. Obviously, Clemson and Auburn are, are big contenders and they should win those games. Florida at South Carolina should also be a good one at five o'clock. But, my perhaps my favorite game of the week is eight thirty. Oregon versus Washington. You don't often get these West Coast teams in such a convenient slot for the UK viewers. So I would say make the most of that. Oregon are ranked number twelve. Washington ranked twenty five. Love the look of that one. I'm curious to see in the eleven o'clock slot. See if Georgia how well they bounce back. They've got to play Kentucky. They should beat Kentucky, but they've got to look really good doing it. Twelve thirty. Stay up for Michigan and Penn State. They both got through big tests last week. Penn State will be thinking college football playoff. But this is a big game for them, and this is a game that they could lose. Michigan are really good. They've just not been as good as they've needed to be. And then if you can deal with it, 315, BYU versus Boise State. Boise State is so much fun to watch. They're ranked number 14 in the nation right now. And out of the teams that are outside the so-called Power Five, that's a, that's a great one to watch. And they still got that blue field, Boise State. Oh yeah, of course. So yeah, the Smurf turf, which, <laughs> which if you, this, this one is away though, they'll be playing on traditional grass. But sometimes if you're awake at 3.15 and you're watching this, this team in blue uniform move across this blue field, you start to feel like, am I awake? <laughs> I, I was going to mention Tennessee, Alabama, which for Tennessee and Alabama fans is a massive rivalry where we, um, we don't think of it as much of a rivalry because it's been so one way, mm. but it's, it's always played on the same corresponding weekend every single year. And it's, it's completely one way. But if you did want to see a little bit of the kind of the, the pomp and ceremony of college football, you might want to catch it like the first five minutes of Tennessee, Alabama at 2 a.m., but it'd probably be over by like 2.15. Over by 2.15. Maybe Sable will be around at yours for a bar yeah, straight after. 
Yeah, well, I mean, there's there's no London game, so you can pop over. I'm not going to be as busy during the day. Come over. Hopefully the weather will be okay, and we'll uh, we'll get the burgers on. It is a match made in heaven. That's what it is. We'll get Hogan in there as well. What a what a Barbie dinner party! Well, that well yeah, we can use the we can use the knockoff Hulk Hogan grill indoors <laughs> if the weather's too bad to get on the barbecue outside. Sounds like a plan. Crack a white man. We'll see you soon. Cheers. Speak to you soon, guys. Superb stuff from our friend Ben Isaacs. He'll be back for more. You can count it all through the season with his college styling and profiling. Uh, Iron Mike, fantastic work from him as well. Enjoyed Ask Mike. We'll definitely bring that one back and the top fives keep rolling on as well. So Mike back next Wednesday. Uh, this Friday, Jay Bell in the house. Jason Bell at ESPN HQ. We're going to get into all kinds of things with him, not least at the Jalen Ramsey news. I'm sure he'll have plenty to say about that. Lots of bonus Video content we'll shoot as well on Friday, which we'll push out on our social channels on the ESPN UK YouTube channel. Uh, so look out uh, for that. My column drops Thursday on ESPN.co.uk as well. I will push that out from our social channels. And a big shout out to our sponsors, Paddy Power Fantasy. If you're not playing daily fantasy yet, get involved, get stuck in. It's unlike other fantasy sports where you pick your team, you draft your team and you're stuck with them apart from a few uh, deals and a wheeling and dealing you can do for the season. So in my case, I'm one and five and definitely not making the playoffs. Daily fantasy, you can change it each and every week. You just tear it up and start again if it didn't go to plan. And it will go to plan if you listen to our Saturday show, which is a daily fantasy special with me and the OG. Uh, read some really good stuff over on Paddy Power Fantasy's website and get involved with the game. Some of them are free to enter as well, so you have nothing to lose. Get involved uh, with the fun there. Right then, uh, we'll see you Friday. J-Bell in the house. Look after yourself. Sports Social Podcast Network.